Before we look at the passage tonight from Acts 11, before we dive into it, I want to set it up by exa- examining and explaining two important aspects of life in the first century. The first aspect is the basic economy of the first century in the Roman Empire. And the second aspect, I think, that will help us really understand the significance of the passage that Wayne just read for us is just the social uh, norms and the social interaction of that time. Rome was still primarily an agrarian society in that people's well-being was hinged on the fact that the crops would come in, especially locally, and that's the way they would be able to earn their money and make their living. And so if a drought were to come in, it would dramatically affect uh, the economy of that place. And if you were a farmer or had a heavy dependence on farmers, then you would be in a a severe uh, economic situation. If there was a famine or some type of catastrophic event like that, and some of you know that even in our country, a country where we, even if we don't have, if, if there's a famine that hits a part of the world, let's say it hits, you know, Mexico and we have a shortage of tomatoes, you know, we'll just try to get tomatoes from somewhere else, you know, because they can just ship them in or whatnot. Or the price may go up on tomatoes for a little while. But if the tomato crop is destroyed, not many of us are affected by that. Now, if you were a tomato farmer, you would be. But in that day, more people were interdependent on one another, especially uh, when you consider the agrarian economy. But even in our country today, if you were to uh, lose a source of income or something were to happen to you that would cause you to get knocked off your feet financially, to try to get back on your feet financially, even in our country, which is a country that lends itself to having some helps built in, uh, and whatnot, even then, it still is very difficult to get back on your feet financially, even in our country. So just imagine being in first century Rome, and your livelihood was, was very much tied up into farming, and a famine hit. And you may say, well, Ron, why don't you just go talk to your family, or maybe a community of friends, and that could help. That's possible. But now consider this. Let's say you were in Jerusalem and you were a Jewish person. And recently you had heard these claims about Jesus being the Messiah. And uh, you decided that, you know, you believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so you convert from Judaism to Christianity where Christ is your Messiah. He's your Lord. Well, there could be some ramifications linked with that, just like there are all over the world when people that are growing up in a Muslim background or even a Jewish background and different backgrounds from other religions and someone converts to Christianity, it's possible that you could be shunned from your family and and alienated. And not only that, you could be alienated from the whole community that you've grown up in. And so the famine hits. Where do you go? There there are no built-in safety nets for you. So where do you go? Well, that's the financial situation. I want you to keep that in mind. And I also want to share with you just some of the social situation. And actually, I don't think the social situation has changed a whole lot from the first century to now. And this is what I mean. It's real easy for us to have unity 
in the necessities. And I think it was probably the same then. In other words, I will do business with someone who is different than me or believes different than me or looks different than me. I will do business with them because if I don't do business with them, then I will not gain a profit and I will not be able to support myself. Therefore, in necessities, I will work with this and unify ourselves around a common goal and that is commerce. Or maybe it was the law of Rome. You know, no one wants to be thrown in jail whether you're a Christian or Jew or whoever you are. You know, we don't want to be thrown in jail so we all adhere to the laws of Rome. And so we're unified in that perhaps. Uh, and we may even be unified in language, the language of the commerce. Maybe we all know Greek in the first century. And we're willing to be unified in that in order to get by. In other words, we're willing to be unified in the necessities. And I think it's the same today. We, we are willing to go beyond the differences with people if it allows us to get something that we really want. And so... Maybe it's watching a football game. Well, we'll go watch a football game with all types of different folks. They may look different than us, speak different than us, even root for another team. We'll sit in the same stadium with them. We may even sit in the same living room with them to watch a certain basketball game or whatnot because we're willing to come together on this topic or even business, same thing today. Yeah, we're willing to do business with anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or who you are, what you believe. Hey, if I have a store... You come and buy my product, that's fine. I don't care what you believe, what language you speak, what country you're from. Just come on, you know, commerce. We can unify around that. So we, we can unify around things that are necessary. And I even heard Jim Cimbala speak a couple weeks ago. They had a little conference here. And he was just talking about the diversity of his church. And he, he used a term or a phrase that actually we've all heard before. And that is... Uh, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of America. And there's probably some truth to that. And he went on to say about how, you know, when people do drugs together, they don't care where you're from or what you look like or whatnot. They just want the drugs or maybe something else. But the point is, we're willing to, to move beyond the differences for something that we really want. The necessities. And so we will unify ourselves in necessity. And there are some things that even our cultural identity, our language, or our racial identity, wherever it may be, we're willing to overcome those or look past those to get something we really want. So keep that in your mind. Because I don't think that's changed. I think it was the same in the first century as it is now. We still tend to operate that way by default. But I do think that a separate, second ob observation is that we, we will incorporate separation where possible. And we still do this today. You know, we separate ourselves from certain people and we attach ourselves to certain other people. And it's usually because we have similar language or we're from around the same area or we like the same things. Whatever it may be, you know, commonality builds community, right? Community, we have something in common. It's just natural, and that's and that it can be okay. And so I think even in the first century, you saw people kind of break off within their culture, within their religion, uh, even within their language. 
And so if we're left to ourselves, I think we will unify ourselves with people by necessity. And then once we move beyond necessity, we tend to separate ourselves out with people that are more like us. And it's this type of, of seed that's in our, in our self that promotes things like racism or classism um, or religious intolerance where you become hostile and things like that. This is where all this kind of comes out of. I think it all comes out of pride, really. You know, this kind of superiority complex or an inferiority complex. All this comes out of pride, trying to find your identity in something other than what we were meant to find our identity in. And so what happens is, let's say I cling to the fact that, you know, I'm a male. Well, the tendency then could be is to say anyone who's not a male, I'm going to marginalize. And we've seen that in society and other parts of the world too, that if you're not like me, you're less than me. And that's our tendency. Or you may even say, you're not like me, therefore you're greater than me. But both of those statements come from, an, a, I think, a strand of pride thinking that, okay, I never will measure up, I never will measure up, or, of course I measure up, you don't measure up. You know, I think they both come from that seeking out of identity. And I think it's the same today as it was back then. And just to give you a, a little glimpse of the cultural situation between, for example, a Jew and Gentile, I want to read uh, from a commentator this quote. Here's what he says. He says, It is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament countenanced such a divide. It affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. By choosing and blessing the Jews, He intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised the Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile. All familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden. So now picture yourself back in Jerusalem. Okay, you're a Jewish Christian. The famine has come. You're in some serious situation here. Where is your help coming from? It's not coming from the government. It's not coming from the synagogue. It's probably not coming from the Gentiles. You know, you're kind of in a situation here, a predicament. Now, with that in mind, you have the, this financial situation, the cultural situation, and now we move into Acts chapter 11. And I think... That will help us understand this passage a little bit better. You have the church developed in Jerusalem, and you have the church developing in Antioch. And just to give you an idea about Antioch, Antioch was about the size of Atlanta. About 500,000 people, uh, about 70,000 of them were Jewish. So you had a very diverse population. Not only ethnicity, but religions, commerce, all kind of things. Just like in Atlanta, if you were to go to Atlanta, you would be able to find just about anything you're looking for. People from all over the country, all over the world, different languages, different religions. Very diverse place. It's not a very homogeneous place, so in Antioch. And Antioch sat about 400 miles north of Jerusalem. And the gospel has spread up to there 
taken hold of a number of people's hearts. A church is being birthed. And now you, we come to this passage at the, at the end of Acts 11. And not only do we see in Acts 11 that a church is being formed in Antioch, a very diverse place. So what you would think you would see is actually a number of different churches starting. Like churches starting among the Jews, and then churches starting among the Greeks, and then churches starting among you know, the barbarians, and churches starting among the slaves, and then churches starting among the, the rich people, and then among the poor people. and different. But you don't see that. You have this church that is a pretty good picture of the city itself. It's just a very diverse church. And you're wondering, well, Ron, you just said that we tend to separate ourselves from people not like us unless there's something very fundamental, something that we must have that ranks up there in the need category. Then we're willing to overlook, overcome Barriers that may separate us. And that's exactly right. And that's the power of the gospel. When you accept Christ, there's such power there that it unites people from all different types of backgrounds, nationalities, etc. And that's remarkable in and of itself. But what we see in this passage is even more remarkable. Let's look at uh, verses 27 through 30. I just want to reiterate this passage since it's so short. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We see two things get fleshed out of this church in Antioch that are pretty radical. That deal with both of those challenges I mentioned at the beginning. The economy, the financial issues, as well as the cultural issues. Notice that they refer to the Christians in Jerusalem or in Judea as brothers. There is something that goes much deeper than just where you're from, where you grew up, what you like. There's something more fundamental. It's your identity. What is your identity linked in? And the church of Antioch, these, these men and women were finding their identity in, their identity in Christ and it was bringing them together with such unity that not only were they gathering, but they were being mobilized and, and put on mission together. I want to read you a uh, historian's look at Christianity. And just follow along as I read this, just to give you a picture of the, of the radicalness of Christianity. She says, a reason for Christianity's success is to be found in its inclusiveness. More than any of its competitors, it attracted all races and classes. Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. The philosophies never really won the allegiance of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated. Christianity, however, drew the lowly and unlettered, yet also developed a philosophy which commanded the respect of many of the learned. 
Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas two of its main rivals were primarily for men. The church welcomed both rich and poor. In contrast with it, the mystery cults were usually for people with means. Initiation into them was expensive. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. The query must be raised of why this comprehensiveness came to be. It was not in Judaism. Why did it appear in Christianity? And the reason is because when the gospel went out, when people began to understand what Jesus did, because you see that one man died for all mankind. So you didn't have a Jewish man dying for your sin, for the Jewish men, and then a Jewish woman dying for the sins of Jewish women, an African man dying for the sins of African men. You didn't see that. Why? Because there's one human race, and it only takes one man to die for all of mankind. And that says we're all in the same place before the Lord, and we all only can come to know God through one man, through one way, and that's in Christ. And once people begin to understand that, they begin to say, you know what? There are some good things in culture. Languages are interesting. Possessions are interesting. There's a lot of interesting things about us, but yet, you know what? If we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. What, where, what position could I hold to that, that I could think I'm superior to you if we're both in Christ? Because we both come to you empty-handed. I come with nothing. You come with nothing. Then... Well, who am I to say, well, you know, yes, we both have Christ, but you know what? I'm an American. Or I'm a white male. Can't you see how that just totally destroys what the gospel is? That's not the gospel. And so the reason we saw this unity and that these, these Greeks and barbarians and the rich and the poor and the slave and the free and all these people in the Antioch church could look at Jerusalem and say, our brothers in Christ. And then the disciples said, you know what we need to do? We need to rally the Christians to help our brothers in Christ because the church in Jerusalem is not able to care for its people because of the famine. And so we see the, the second challenge overcome. Not only did we overcome the issue of race and culture and the division that that can cause, but we also deal with the resources, the financial issues that come out of that, out of the famine. And he says in verse 29, So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now, this is one of the beauties of Christian giving. And I hope you get this right here. I hope this just sits on you and just stays with you and just you take, you take away from this uh, and, and apply to your giving. We give of our resources and, our, and of ourselves, not because we have to. You don't have to give anything. It's not like taxes. Of course, you don't have to give taxes. You'll just be arrested. But we're not, you know, not going to search you out and say, you know what? I noticed you uh, didn't give anything to the 
church, so I'm going to arrest you. You know, that doesn't happen. Why? Because you don't have to give anything, yet as Christians, we get to give and we want to give. Why? Well, because our model is Christ. What did Christ give? Gave himself. I mean, when you, when you read the Easter story, as Christ enters in Jerusalem, like I read this morning, as he comes into Jerusalem, I mean, is he complaining? You know what? You know, I've got to give my life to all these people. I wish I didn't have to do that, but I just have to do it. No. Voluntarily. As Christians, we give voluntarily. Because we want to. Not because we have to, because we want to. Now, does that mean it doesn't take sacrifice? Well, again, let's go back to Jesus. Did His giving require sacrifice? Absolutely. And so our giving will at times require sacrifice. Now, when you think about this group at Antioch, 400 miles away... I don't even know how to bring that into today's terms, you know. You didn't have vehicles. I guess you had like a camel or something you could ride that far. But it would take you a long time to get to Antioch. And so these people probably had never met anyone apart from maybe Barnabas and Saul who had been from Jerusalem. May not even have known them. And yet they hear their Christian brothers and sisters are in need. And they say, yeah, we're going to get on board with that. And the disciples say, just give according to your ability. Wherever you are, whatever you have, just give according, give voluntarily, sacrificially, because you want to. And it says they wanted to, and they did. And they sent the gifts with them down to Jerusalem to be applied to the church there and help alleviate this need. So you see in this passage of Scripture just in these short few verses that two of the world's biggest challenges are overcome with the gospel. One, this whole superiority, inferiority complex, this whole separation issue is done away in the gospel. We're all at equal standing before the Lord. And therefore, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, since we're in Christ, we're open-handed with all that we have. Because when our identity is in Christ, we're just not depending on these things to make us who we are. And just like if your brother and sister was in need, you help them. You come alongside them. You lift them up. You pray for them. You encourage them because you want to as you reflect on Christ. And if you don't want to, and there are times when I don't want to, I just have to reflect and say, you know, okay, what did Christ do here? I may not be feeling the emotions of excitement at this moment, but Christ is my model. What did He do? And how should that affect what I do? And again, it does away with the, the things that would separate us because all of us are saved by grace. Not by anything we've done. It's not because you were born in a certain place, you look a certain way, you have certain talents or abilities, you have this or you don't have that. We all come to Christ the same way. Open-handed, empty, broken, needing His grace. 
And therefore it does away with any type of reason for separation. And because we're in the same family, we have a healthy concern for one another that often shows itself in the way we share our resources with one another. Just like we do in the church. You know, we, we all donate money to the church to be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom in all different ways within the church. For the, for the benefit of this community in the Hill Baptist Church and for the benefit of Augusta and the world. You know, Trellin was telling me earlier that the kids, you know, Wednesday night were collecting money, uh, coins and different things they could find because of the chores they did and whatnot, and they're going to donate it to the Annie Armstrong offering, which goes, I believe, to North American Missions, correct? And so, we don't know these people. We don't know these missionaries. I mean, you might know a few, but you don't know them all. You don't know where this money is going. But... If they're in need of some resources, then we'll gather resources and we'll send it that way, if we can do that. And that's what these kids did. Now, we'll say, my kids, I'm not sure where they got some of this money. Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out about what they did around the house and somehow they got more money than they earned. But, you know, we'll let them slide this time. But anyway, you see the point. It seems like in the book of Acts, and we've seen this a number of times, one of the marks of the gospel taking root is the ability to overcome barriers that differentiate people and how we use our resources. Luke just continues to hammer that home. And just, I mean, we can be fearful at times in the way we use our resources, but think of the person in Jerusalem. The famine hits. There's no safety net. They've been thrust out of the community they've known all their lives. You have this Christian church here that's growing and learning together and they're going through bumps and all these things but they're growing and they're learning together and they're you're clinging to Christ they're staying faithful to Christ and then a church at Antioch says oh there's a there's some people in Jerusalem that don't have food and you want us to give according to our ability absolutely and they send money they send goods whatever they have according to their ability they send it to them why? because those are their brothers and sisters in Christ and so a question I have for us tonight is, have you experienced that in your life? Or are you still feeling inferior to people around you? Or superior? Have you experienced the gospel that way? Have you experienced the gospel with how He's made you, what He's given you, the gifts, the abilities you know, to give away those things freely for the good of His people? And what is God challenging you with tonight? As you hear this passage of Scripture, you, you get a glimpse into this people and what God was doing there. How are you challenged? What is He doing? My prayer is, is that we would allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to sink into our hearts just more and more so that we'll be changed. That's the only way we're changed is reflecting on what Christ has done. That's what changes us. And as we put that into practice through what God has given us to do in the Scripture, we are changed. And I pray also that the label Christian will be enough for us. We don't need any other labels. That's sufficient.
So with that said, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you uh, as empty and broken and without merit. And that's how we all come to you. And we all receive your grace freely because you've given yourself. We were all in a spiritual famine. Unable to create the food we need and yet you give your life so that we can be nourished by your sacrifice. We can experience your forgiveness and that we can actually know God personally and be able to walk with Him forever. Lord, I pray that that your truths would sink into our hearts to such a degree that we would be changed, that how we see people would be changed, how we use our resources would be changed, how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ would be changed, how we view those who don't know you yet would be changed. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of these people and in my heart. Thank you that you're faithful to complete what you start. And just pray as uh, we continue to sing and, and close out this time together that you would be honored. That this week would be characterized by great change in our hearts because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen.